Hey, listen, it's always good to be with you guys, and uh, I just enjoyed being here last year with all of you, and just had a great time, and just so excited to see what God is doing here on the Sunshine Coast, and like, like Matt said, man, I, I love your pastors, I love Matt and Michael, and, and we get together regularly and just have such a, a, a blast together, a fun time, it's almost criminal, but uh, we really enjoy just um, being together and just, yeah, fellowshipping, and that's what we get to do here um, today. I'm just kind of stalling to find my place. I'm going, what chapter am I in here? Okay, there it is. Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 27. And uh, it's interesting that I, I think you could all attest to this, that we can find ourselves getting very distracted over different things, getting distracted very generally in life. Even right now, I'm kind of thinking about other stuff that's going on. Uh, and even while I'm trying to put all this together. Some of you are thinking about what did I miss at the, the breakfast table back there and what do I need to jump up and get to after this is done here. We can easily get distracted. I mean, look at this beautiful view that you've got. I don't know how you guys do it on a Sunday to Sunday basis sitting here having to listen to Matt when you got this beautiful view out there. I mean, that can be very distracting, right? We've all, we've all been through that and uh, it's difficult at times. And, and I think it's something that we have to be very mindful of, careful of, because the enemy would love, would love to keep us distracted from the more important things. And he can do that very subtly. I heard about a story about a man who got hired at a factory to be the night guard. And the factory had had a lot of problems with theft, even theft from their own workers. And so this night guard was hired. And he was told, listen, you got to really make sure you check everybody that's coming out at night, checking them to make sure they're not packing anything and trying to take anything because we've had a real problem with this. So the night guard was like, yeah, I'm on. I can, I can do that. So every night his workers were kind of checking out, coming out of there. He was always making sure, checking their pockets and, and their belongings, make sure they weren't taking anything they shouldn't. Well, one day this guy comes wheeling this wheelbarrow with a stack of newspapers and the night guard's like, hold on, just stop right there thinking this guy's trying to hide something in all these newspapers. And so he goes through it all. He's checking everything, but he finds nothing. And is very, very suspicious. Let's him go. Next night, this guy comes again with his wheelbarrow and all the stack of newspapers. Hold on. Stop right there, the night guard says. And he checks through everything and doesn't find anything. And he's like, what are you doing with all these newspapers? And the guy says, well, I just like to go into the break room and I like to pick up all the newspapers up to over and I kind of, you know, recycle them, refund them and get a little bit back for it. And so just like to do that. So the night guard kind of lets him go. And every night the guy just kind of does the same thing. And the night guard's like going, this is so peculiar. Well, one night the guy shows up for work and the supervisor calls him into the office. The night guard comes walking in feeling like he's been doing a really good job, maybe looking for a promotion or something. And the supervisor just says instantly, you're fired. The night guard's like, what are you talking about? How am I fired? I've been, I've been diligently checking everybody. Nobody's been taking anything they shouldn't have. And the, and the supervisor says, well, explain to me how we're missing 25 wheelbarrows. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, that's the way the enemy often likes to work, right? He likes to distract us with kind of little things that we think are unimportant, but all the meanwhile, he's taking us away from the more important things that we should be getting our eyes on to. And I think about David here, and I love what David writes here in Psalm 27, verse 4. Here's what David writes. He says this, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I desired. That was David's heart. That was David's desire. And let me tell you, do you think that David was ever distracted with other things? Oh, we know this man was a distracted guy. Can anybody say Bathsheba? This guy's experienced distractions. This guy's experienced what it's like to have the kind of the pull of the enemy to try to get him off of the more important things onto the lesser things, right? But here at this time in David's life, as he's writing this, David's coming to a point where he's realizing, man, I don't want to make a mess of my life anymore. I don't want to be looking at inferior things, other things. I want to have that singleness of mind, that singleness of mind that says there's one thing that's really needed. There's one thing that's really important, and I want to get my eyes on that. That was David's desire. That was David's heart. I want to talk about kind of three things here this morning. Our priority in the Lord, our passion for the Lord, and our promise from the Lord. Our, our priority in the Lord, first of all. Secondly, our passion for the Lord. And thirdly, our promise from the Lord. So David's priority is this. And, and, he, and he lays out there, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So that's David's priority. He's like, there's one thing that I just really want. And I just want to be in the house of the Lord. I just really want to be in that place where I can meet with the Lord and understand something here that when David talks about being in the house of the Lord, he's equating that to this idea of being in the very presence of the Lord. This is more than just kind of a religious practice. This is more than just kind of going to some shrine or, or some kind of place. This was about being with the Lord. That's David's heart. That's David's desire. That's the one thing that's really motivating and moving David in his life is just to be with the Lord. Remember the great lengths that David went through to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem when it had been taken away and had been sitting in another place. And David's like, I want the Ark of the Covenant here. Now, why did David desire that so much? It wasn't just to kind of have some religious relic here or, or some museum that people could gather together. David knew that this was the place where God would meet with his people. And he went through great lengths. I mean, people died doing this. Uzzah dies just from moving the cart there. David didn't give up. He's like, I want the Ark of the Covenant here. Not, not just to have some kind of religious shrine, but because God says, it's here that I'll meet with you. Remember the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat that's sitting on top of there. And God says there to Moses when they're building, this is a place I'm going to meet with you. And I, and I think that's so wonderful because it's the mercy seat. It's the place of mercy by which we have access to God. So David says, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant here. And I want to, I want to have a place where I can see God's presence come and dwell. And remember, David not only had the, the tabernacle where the, the Ark of the Covenant sat, but later went to great lengths even just to to make plans and preparations for the temple of the Lord that his son Solomon would eventually build. So David understood, man, I just want to be with God. And so that's why he's writing this here when he says, one thing I've desired, Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Because it's there that I will be with God. It's there that the presence of God is going to be experienced. Now, we have a great blessing today because we know what, what God's word tells us here that we have this great access to God like David was experiencing with the Ark of the Covenant. We today have an incredible access to God. Not by going through some kind of you know, place or having an object there, but for us, the, the object of our desire is not in a place or a thing. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. 
He's done it all for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access now by faith into this grace in which we stand, right? Before God, we have, we have access to the presence of God. Think about that. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly to the throne of grace. We have access to God. But, but the question is, what are you living for? What is that, that one thing that you're truly desiring? What is the one thing that's kind of getting you up in the morning? Now, hey, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here. I understand you guys are here on a Saturday morning, right? Getting in here at 9 o'clock, 9.30. Why? To sit and study God's word and to meet with God. So I'm speaking to the choir. I understand that. But oftentimes we can kind of go through those, those peaks and those valleys and, and, and struggle to sometimes finding purpose, getting out of bed in the morning. But for David, he's writing here saying, now one thing I've desired. There, there's one thing that I desire. This was the priority in his life, was just to be with the Lord. In everything he did, he's like, I just want to seek the Lord. I want to be with the Lord. I want to know the Lord more. Now, again, we need to ask ourselves, what is the, the priority for us? Now, I had a, uh, my son bought some tickets to go see Avengers Endgame on Sunday, last Sunday. How many people have seen Avengers Endgame? Anybody planning to go see Avengers Endgame? All right, some of you have seen it. Okay, all right. I was super pumped. I couldn't wait. I'm like, yeah, dude, get those tickets, man. Buy them early. Let's go. And so Sunday afternoon, we're all ready. There's a whole bunch of us going to see this movie, and I can't wait. I'm pumped. I'm counting down the days. But then I got to ask, am I... Am I having that same reaction about showing up to church on Sunday morning? Am I having that same kind of priority and excitement about going to church and meeting with God? Uh, of course I do. I mean, don't, don't, don't think that I was good, but that's something we need to ask ourselves sometimes, right? It's like, do I have that same excitement about going to church? And, and sometimes even just going to church for some of us, we can be distracted, about a lot of things that need to get done. Maybe you're serving a church and you're, you're, you're focused on all these different things that need, need to happen and fall into place. And it's like going to church is like, oh, this list of things that I got to get done. And yet, how often are we just showing up going, one thing, God. There's one thing right now that's most important above all. My priority is that I just want to meet with you. I just want to seek you. That can be hard for, for me sometimes. That can be difficult. Looking at all, is this in place? Is this happening? Is that person showed up doing that? But it's like, Lord, there's one thing that's just important right now. And that is just to meet with you. One thing I've desired, just to, to be and to dwell in the house of God, not just to be at church, but just to meet with you, God, and to be with you. So this is David's priority here. But then David also had this passion. You see, that priority of David was ultimately being driven by the passion of David. You see, this is more than just a religious duty or feeling of obligation. David had a, had a passion for the Lord. See, our priorities aren't going to really be kept or, or come into place unless we're passionate about them, right? High on my priorities 
is to hit the gym like three to four times a week. That's a huge priority for me. Do you know how many times I hit the gym a week? Zero. <laughs> I don't do it. It's a priority. Like, I would love to do that. But you know why I don't go? It's not really a passion of mine. I would love to. But it hasn't become that passion that's driving me. That's like, man, there's nothing more that I want to do than just go and hit the treadmill or the elliptical or whatever it is. I don't know what they're called because I don't go. <laughs> I would love to be that guy. It, it would, I, would, I would love to be that person that does that, but I'm lacking that passion. And you see, we can make those priorities and like, Lord, yeah, you're the number one priority in my life. But have we grown in passion for the Lord? See, notice what David says here, and I love this. Reading on in verse four, at the end of verse four. Let me just read verse four again. Psalm 27, verse four. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Here it is. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Why does David want to be in the house of the Lord? Not just because he's going to be there in the presence of the Lord, but because this priority is growing into a passion for the Lord where he's saying, I just get to behold the beauty of the Lord. Lord, I just want to, I just want to gaze upon you. I just want to seek you. I just want to know you more. I just want to see the beauty of the Lord. You see, David's priority was moving to a passion, and it was that passion of the Lord that was keeping Jesus or the Lord being that priority in his life. I'm re- reminded of other places that we see that term, one thing, one thing in, in God's word. We see it a couple times here, and, and it's reflective of the passion of the individual. Look at, at Luke chapter 10. Flip over to Luke chapter 10 with me. Luke chapter 10. And, and you know this story. This is a familiar story. It's a story of, uh, of Mary and Martha. And you've, you've gone over this before. But let's just, let's just see here again. The things that are, are happening here. Luke chapter 10. And all the way over to verse 40. Because remember Jesus comes into the home of Mary and Martha. And Lazarus their brother. And, and uh, that's a great honor. Jesus is there. They, they know who Jesus is. But notice here Luke 10 verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Notice what Jesus says here. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha's sitting there, and she's worried. She's bothered. She's, she's a little bit bitter that Mary's not helping her. She's taking care of all these things. But understand what Mary is doing here. She's not getting distracted by is everybody comfortable does everybody have drinks are the appetizers out do people have a place to sit she's not worried about she's like oh man i just want to be with jesus that's what's driving mary and and jesus honors her for it he says to martha one thing is needed one thing is important and mary has chosen that good part and i'm not going to take her away from it How often do we just take time to say, Lord, I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to take you in. I just want to behold the beauty of the Lord. Jesus says, that's the good thing. That's the one thing 
that's needed and important and good. I'm not going to take away from that. We also see that one thing in Paul's life. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, Philippians 3 verse 10. Now Paul in this chapter has been going through sharing about all of his kind of credentials, his past experiences, and, and this guy that really could be one that, that boasts in all of his accomplishments. But, but here's what he comes to, this conclusion he comes to, Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul has just said, listen, I consider all of that stuff, the, the previous accomplishments that I've, I, I've earned and I've, I've you know, attained to, all these things that, that any man would typically boast in, he, he says there in Philippians 3 that I consider all that rubbish, like a big pile of dung. He says, all of that stuff... I just consider as rubbish in comparison to simply knowing God. And that's what he says there, that I may know him. But then it goes on in Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. There's Paul's priority. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, he's got his priority, one thing, but his priority is linked to his passion that I may press on to lay hold of that for which, or press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's his desire. It's just to know Jesus more, to be in Jesus. That's that one thing that he's desiring to do and to, to gain. And, and ultimately, it's all linked to Jesus. And so David here, back in Psalm 27, says that his desire was just simply to be in the house of the Lord for one purpose, that I might just take in the Lord, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting way to say things. You know, we... we would sing that song in church, Oh Lord, you're beautiful, your face is all I seek, right? And I remember I had a, a, I had a guy come to me and saying, I, I don't feel comfortable singing that song because we don't know what God looks like. What, what is, how can we sing that you're beautiful and we don't really know what he looks like? And he had a hard time with that. But what do you think David means when he says to behold the beauty of the Lord? How, how do we describe the beauty of the Lord today? Well, throw out some answers for me, actually. Let's, let's have a little discussion here. What are some ways that, that we can describe the beauty of the Lord? How do we behold his beauty? What does that look like today? Great. His greatness? Look out the window. His creation, right? Yeah. What else? Pardon me? His patience. His patience. Love, for Love for mankind. Mercy. Yeah. Grace. Yeah. Those are great. All that. You see, when we just begin to see kind of the, the character of God, the attributes of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, all these things that you said, yeah, we just begin to see, Lord, you're, you're lovely. You're beautiful. And I just want to behold that and, and see you and take it in. I think so often that we don't just take that time to sit down with the Lord and just be 
be moved, not just with a priority in the Lord, but that passion for the Lord and just begin to really comprehend how great he is, how good he is. I mean, that's what David is really getting at here. It's just understanding the, the greatness and the grace of God here. That David just had an, had an audience with the Lord. It's like, oh God, this is so good. I just want to behold the beauty of the Lord. To know your goodness, your grace toward us. And the more that we grow, you see, the more that we grow in the grace of God and behold his goodness, the more that we grow in that passion for him and the more that we grow in our passion for the Lord, the more that he becomes that priority in our life, that one thing that we're saying, nothing else matters. I just want to be with Jesus. I just, I just want to seek him. That's the one thing that's the most important thing in my life. So we see all these things here. We see the priority our priority in the Lord, our passion for the Lord. But then I think David kind of wraps up with just revealing some of the byproduct of that and our, our promise from the Lord. When we begin to do that, when we begin to set him as that priority and grow in that passion for the Lord. Look at what we read there in verse 5 of Psalm 27. Verse 5 of Psalm 27. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. See, David foresaw this work that God would do in bringing him that safety and peace. David understood that when I'm seeking you, Lord, that's the place that I'm going to find the most kind of contentment and peace and comfort, satisfaction and joy. He, he realizes that, God, you're going to set me upon a high rock. That's a great thing. I love that. We, we read in, in Psalm 61, the second part of verse 2, where David writes, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I think that's so important. See, so often we're trying to get to those places where we can find comfort or safety or that place of somewhat peace on our own, right? And we, we're, we're trying to grab a hold of things and thinking this is going to help me in this moment. This is going to satisfy perhaps in this moment. But David says, man, when I'm overwhelmed, Lord, take me to the rock that's higher than I, that, that's beyond what I can do. Do, do that work that only you can do in my life. Lord, lead me to that place that's, that's above me, beyond me. And you see, when we get to that place that's, that's where the Lord takes us, that's above ourselves, suddenly we begin to see this great perspective, right? I think that's why God wants to take us to that rock that's higher than I. And you know what that's like when you get kind of up and above sort of your surroundings. You just get a whole different picture of what's really going on. See, when we get led to that rock that's higher than I, that God can only take us to, suddenly we begin to see that those circumstances that we're struggling through, those, those difficulties we might be encountering, seem a lot less insignificant, a lot smaller, when we begin to see what, what God is actually doing and what he's able to do in that we get a much broader view of what's going on. That's what Jesus would have for us. It's a great promise of the Lord that the more that we're seeking him, the more that we're lifted up above and beyond our circumstances that so often distract us, that so often hold us back, you see, from the things of the Lord. And you see, that just doesn't have to be the reality when we're seeking the Lord, when we're beholding his beauty, when he's the one thing that we want to behold and know. And, and I think there's a secondary promise that we'll see here, not only being led to that rock higher than us here, but look at verse six. And now, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. 
Think about that. So I think these, these kind of like promise 1A and promise 1B. Promise 1A led to, the, to a higher rock, a greater place of comfort and safety. And then 1B is just that joy. Sacrifice is a joy. That's kind of a, almost seems like an oxymoron because we think sacrifices are not always easy or fun. But David's like, man, I get to bring just a sacrifice as a joy. This is a, a, a worthwhile thing. This is an enjoyable thing as we come and seek the Lord and lift up just praise to him. It's just that sacrifice of joy. I don't know about you, but I, I love joy. I'm just very fond of joy. Joy is a good thing. I hope there's nobody named Joy in here. That would be really awkward. That's like not what I'm getting at. But I, I love joy. And I've just been, man, more and more just, you know, telling my kids, telling people around me, just, just joy in Jesus, man. Just joy in Jesus. Because we can battle through a lot of hardships and difficulty that, again, the enemy is right there to try to rob us of our joy. But it's just joy in Jesus, just seeking the Lord because it's in him that we find that joy, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate love, just the, the greatness of what he has for us. And so David's saying, man, when I come and I seek you, make you that one thing, oh man, I just experienced that joy and the sacrifice of joy that I just get to bring before you. Joy is becoming ever more so just an elusive thing in the world, isn't it? I mean, you just look at people. You just pass by people on the, on the street and you can just see, man, there's a lot of people that are just, they just don't have joy. They're battling through lots of difficulties and hardships and joy is just becoming ever so elusive. It's like that night guard, right? Having all the wheelbarrows taken out from underneath them. There's a lot of stuff that we can encounter in life that's robbing us of our joy that we don't even, aren't even aware of, that the enemy's looking to kind of throw our way and yet we're not realizing what's really going on underneath is just that, that joy is being stripped from us if we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus making him that one thing that says, above all, Lord, may you be that priority and that passion in my life. Because I know what's gonna come of that. I know the promises that you have for me that will come. Now, this passage is really, uh, I think, the Old Testament equivalent of abiding in Christ, as, as John chapter 15, verses one to eight speaks about. Just that idea of just being in, in Jesus, abiding in him, and that's what David is saying. Oh, one thing. One thing I've desired, O Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, the great thing is, we understand. Man, we can be doing this anywhere and everywhere at any time. That we don't need just to be in the house of the Lord to do that. Because we have an audience with the Lord wherever we are, right? We don't need to do that. But let me just say, I believe that there's a dynamic at work that takes place when we do indeed gather together and we seek the Lord as the body of Christ. I believe there's something beneficial that takes place because I talk to a lot of people that, you know, have walked with the Lord for a long time. Maybe they've been burned by a, a church or, and they just dropped off. They're just like, I don't need the church. Me and the Lord just have, have our time together. I think, man, that's so sad. That's so sad that you're missing out on something that I think is a greater work that the Lord desires to do as we gather together. Let me read to you what, what James Montgomery Boyce, a commentator, said about this. He said this, there is something to be experienced of God in church that is not quite so easy to experience elsewhere. Otherwise, why have churches? If it is only instruction we need, we can get that as well by an audio tape or a book. If it is only fellowship, 
We can find that equally well, perhaps better in a small home gathering. There's something to be said for the sheer physical singing of the songs, the sitting in the seats, the actual looking to the pulpit or the music stand and gazing on the Bible that is being expounded from, the tasting of the sacrament and the very atmosphere of the place set apart for the worship of God that is spiritually beneficial. Isn't that true? Haven't you found a sense of God's presence simply by being in God's house? I do not mean to deny that God can and should be worshiped elsewhere, but he says, I'm suggesting that the actual physical worship of God in the company of other believers can be almost sacramental. I think that's just a, a great theme that you guys are, are working through here in, in, in Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and, and good works, right? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There was a story told about a man that had been a part of this church and just stopped coming. Hadn't shown up for, for quite a while. And the pastor decided, I better go pay this man a visit. He went to the man's house, was invited in. The man brought him over to the fireplace where there's a fire, fire going. And the pastor sat down, didn't say a word. The man's sitting here waiting for the pastor. Sitting, ready. He's ready for the conviction to be set in, you know. But the pastor doesn't say anything. He just kind of reaches into the fire with some tongs and he grabs kind of like a burning ember. And he just removes it from the fire and puts it off to the side. Doesn't say a thing. So they just sit there and they watch and they just see that ember slowly begin to burn out. Suddenly the man knew exactly what the pastor was communicating. You see, it's like that for us. If we withdraw ourselves from the gathering of God's church and the bride of Christ, we might think, oh, I just do this on my own. I think we, we miss out on something and we slowly begin to see ourselves just kind of fizzling out, burning out. There's something good that happens as we gather together, as we begin to stir up love and good works with one another. So we begin to encourage and exhort each other. So I encourage you, man, just keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord on your own. Let that priority in your life be just to know Jesus. Grow in that passion for the Lord. But understand the, the promise of the Lord too, that there's a good work that he does as we seek him. But all the more as we do that together, and encourage one another, seeking the Lord together here. Amen? All right. Well, yeah, let me pray. And uh, take some time this, this weekend, if you can, um, just to get alone and, and uh, just seek the Lord. Seek the Lord for him to, to do something in your life this weekend here. Ask him what he wants to reveal to you and just spend time seeking the Lord. In fact, let's just do that for just a couple minutes. Just Let's have just a quiet time here where just seek the Lord and just say, Lord, I just want to know you more. I just want you to be that one thing that I desire above all. And as I do that, Lord, would you just reveal yourself to me in a fresh way? So just take some time, a couple minutes here. Let's just do that. And I'll, I'll close in prayer in a couple minutes.